appropriate one. Uh, Luke, uh, no, not Luke. Mark, chapter 6. I gave Nate the hard portion last week, the death of John the Baptist. And so this week we come to one of the most well-known stories in Scripture. The feeding of the 5,000. We're looking at uh, Luke 6, verses 30 through 44 tonight. Mark 6, Mark 6. Page 1001 in the Pew Bible. That's how you'll know. You're on the right. uh, uh, 30 to 34. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of Jesus's more astounding miracles, if I can be so brave as to put it this way. It's one of the more unbelievable miracles. And yet, it is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Why would that be? Well, one obvious answer is there were 5,000 people there. So when people were sitting down to write these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's people saying, don't forget about the feeding of the 5,000. My cousin, you know, Shlomo or whoever was there at the meal, uh, don't forget that story. Certainly it is one of the miracles with the most number of witnesses present. And so it's interesting it's recorded in all four Gospels. With enough differences to show that it's not simply one cut and pasting the story into another, but that we have four independent accounts of this astounding miracle. And so like the resurrection, it is almost unbelievable. And yet in terms of historiography, it is one of the most historically well-established facts from all of the ancient world. We don't have four independent sources about Caesar's different activities, and yet we all take for granted that Caesar really did rule in Rome and these sorts of things. Yet here we have four independent accounts of this, four separate sources. For the context, remember that it's linked together by this Mark and Sandwich with the sending out of the 12 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, and then John's death in the middle, and now at the beginning of the story where we're going to pick up in a minute, the, the apostles come back from this season of ministry, this uh, short-term missions trip they're sent out on. The disciples return and tell with excitement about all that happened. You know, we commanded evil spirits and they went out and we prayed for people and we anointed them and they were healed and it was so great and we're doing all this ministry and it was awesome, Jesus. You know, they're all fired up. And yet Mark pairs it, as, as Nate brought out last week, he pairs it with this account of John the Baptist, who is praised not in Mark's gospel, but I think in John as the greatest of all the prophets. You know, the, uh, John the Baptist, the, the perfect disciples, or, you know, as good as it gets in terms of discipleship. And yet how does his journey end? beheaded and not even beheaded publicly as a martyr but in this sort of um almost uh yeah in prison and 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 um uh uh, i'm trying to think of the right word demeaning sort of death uh on a whim and so mark is is making an important point here there's excitement about the ministry and yet there's a cost to discipleship but kind of getting to the other side of the sandwich here that we're at mark also juxtaposes or contrasts two feasts. Do you see that? The feast of Herod on his birthday. Who does he eat with, if you remember from last time? The nobles, the generals, and the leading men of Galilee. It is the leading men of Galilee that Herod eats with. Okay, I was thinking, for a second I thought, no, it's Jerusalem, but Galilee. Okay, I am right. Uh, So he's eating with all the leading men. I guess... um, well, never mind. Now I'm thinking of the Perones again and whatever that, you know, the feasting in the general, but never mind. Uh, that doesn't help. Um, so he's eating with all the leading men. He's winking at this pretty girl in this bizarre situation with his 
sister-in-law's daughter, you know, all the weirdness going on there. He's probably drunk given his uh, ostentatious promises he makes. Okay, that's one feast. The other feast. Jesus, as we're going to read in a minute, heads out because they're hungry. They can't even get a chance to eat, so they're going to go have a picnic in privacy. But although he's hungry, he is full of compassion. He doesn't eat with the nobles, but with the crowds, not in a palace, but in the wilderness. Herod claims to be king, but here we're going to see the true king who cares for his people. Herod's feast is deadly for disciples, but Christ's feast is life-giving. Let's read this together with those, what's come before echoing in the back of our minds. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a desolate place. and The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fi- and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as you fed the five thousand in the wilderness, feed us now with your word. Give us appetites that we might eat and be filled, be satisfied. By your word, teach us, shape us, strengthen us. Amen. All right, let's begin at the beginning, uh, verses 30 through 33, looking there. He invites the disciples, come away by yourselves, and let's go to a lonely place to rest. Okay, it's emphasizing, let's get away from the crowds. There's an interesting little point about discipleship here. The, the apostles have been sent out by Jesus, okay? They've been sent out to do work. They've been teaching and doing things. That's all well and good. And yet he says, come away with me. Being with Jesus is fundamental to discipleship, fellowship with Jesus. I suspect, I haven't looked at any statistics on this, but I suspect that many of the church leaders in recent years that have fallen in very public ways, that this is where it starts, It's not that they quit doing things for Jesus. It's not that they quit preaching, but they quit going away with Jesus in quiet. 
They neglect fellowship with Jesus to their own peril. That has to be the lifeblood of discipleship. Your quiet, lonely places with Jesus that then motivate, empower, strengthen, give you the resources for the doing things for Jesus being sent out. Well, again, we see crowds interrupt Jesus and his desire for sort of intimate fellowship with uh, his disciples. We've seen this a number of times in the book of Mark. So what do they do? They get in a boat, as they've done several times, and they sail to a lonely place, to a desolate place. Probably they're sailing along the seashore, not crossing the Sea of Galilee, but saying, okay, we're going to leave the town. We're going to head along the seashore to find an empty place where we can be alone. The crowds apparently then follow along the shore trail. Uh, I'm thinking, I guess for Ben, here's a uh, passing point. Uh, You know, Lake Tahoe, famous trail run around the whole lake, that there's apparently a trail around the Sea of Galilee here, and their crowds are booking it along the boat. There's a bit of a textual issue here. Some manuscripts say that he arrived before the crowds and then the crowds show up. Some say the crowds arrived before him. Perhaps the sense is that he sees the crowds following along the shore and he says, all right, let's pull in and talk to these guys. We're not losing them. He comes to shore, verse 34, and when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. We need to see two things here. First, he has compassion on them. This word for compassion is used only of Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, he, has a, his, he has an emotional response to the crowds. Why? It says he sees they're like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. Well, that resonates with Jesus' own teaching about being the good shepherd But it also connects with a number of Old Testament passages. Isaiah 63, verse 11, for example. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Again, Ezekiel chapter 34 In Ezekiel 34, verse 5, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild sheep, or uh, wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And then it goes on to this condemnation of the shepherds of Israel that have neglected their people. Again, a little bit later in Ezekiel 37, Verse 24, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. One last time, Zechariah 13. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declare the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I'll turn my hand against them. Okay, so we're seeing throughout the Old Testament, the sheep without a shepherd is people without a leader. The sheep with a shepherd is people with a leader. So what does Jesus see when he sees his crowd running along the seashore? He sees people without a leader, a people in need of a king. 
In fact, the Galilee region is where the Zealots, this group of uh, violent revolutionaries who wanted to drive out the Romans, were headquartered. And so perhaps these were Minutemen militia type up in the north gathering around Jesus. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so how does he respond in the first instance to teach them many things? He began to teach them many things, and yet Mark doesn't record anything that he teaches them. Because in this case, the identity of the teacher is more important than the lesson he teaches. Verses 34 and 30, uh, through 37, then, the problem. It's growing late. The disciples are pragmatic. Let's deal with the people's need for food before it turns into a crisis. Send them away now while there's a bit of light so they can go buy food. How does Jesus respond? You give them something to eat. Now, I want to ask you just for a second here, uh, reflect, and and then we can discuss. Is Jesus here intensifying the problem? Is he saying, look, you've just done these different miracles when you were sent out on your mission. Uh, You went with no food, dependent on others' hospitality. Is he intensifying the problem? Or is Jesus perhaps here teasing the disciples? They're saying, here's a problem, and he's kind of joking with them. We'll say, well, give them something to eat. What do you think? Or maybe some third option. Has a plan? Yeah. He knows what he's going to do. So he's teasing the disciples then? You give it a shot. I got a plan. You give it a shot first, though. Go ahead and try it. Yeah. 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 In the face of the impossible, do they have faith? Yeah. I thought this was going to be a rollicking discussion question, really get going, but... I, not all, not all my questions are equally good. Yeah, Austin. Yeah. Potentially. Well, the disciples' response, again, is very pragmatic. 200 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So 200 days' wages, eight months' salary. You know, um, depending on what your salary is, you know, $50,000, that's easy math. 5,000 people, $50,000, 10 bucks a head. Yeah, that's kind of Panera, Panera sack sandwiches. That's what they're thinking, you know, order out. Um, I guess we don't have Panera in Bellingham, do we? That's like further south, but... I. Avenue, there we go. Avenue bread, sandwiches, okay, that's, that's probably more than 10 ahead, isn't it? Uh, anyways, uh, that's what they're thinking. Where in the world are we going to get this money from? What restaurants open? How are we going to get this food? We can't do it. It's basically an intractable problem. No solution, impossible. And yet what's impossible with man is not impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. So what does Jesus say? He says, how many loaves do we have? What resources do we have at hand? Let's see what we got to work with. What do they have? Five loaves, two fish. Then he organizes the people into groups. 
There's an interesting echo there because back in, in uh, Numbers, Moses organizes the people into groups, 50s, 100s, 500s, and 1000s. So maybe there's a, a little bit of an echo there. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then Jesus takes the bread, he looks up to heaven, he says a blessing, he breaks the loaves, and he gives it to the disciples. Now we noticed when we looked at the Last Supper a few weeks ago, um, there's some, nope, nope, the road to Emmaus last Sunday in, in Luke. That same language is used on the road to Emmaus, that he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples, and their eyes are open to recognize Jesus. And that is the same language that's used at the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. He blesses the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples. It's being used here as well. Notice the miracle here, in a sense, picking up Austin's comment, is through the disciples. The disciples, he says, you feed them. They're saying it's preposterous. We don't got that kind of money. But they do end up feeding the people. He hands them the loaves. They keep coming back for more. He keeps handing them more bread. And they distribute it to all the people. They do end up feeding all the people. It is interesting the way the miracle itself is described. It sort of slips between the words, as it were. He blesses the bread. He breaks it. He keeps handing it out. And there's enough for everybody. But it never actually describes the exact moment. You know, is it, do the loaves keep... How does this work? Uh, are there more loaves that keep showing up? It just doesn't, it's kind of almost, uh, 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 almost like a sleight of hand, a magician kind of a thing, that it just keeps, more bread keeps coming. Yeah, Chris. Mm. They keep reaching into their baskets and there's more there to hand out. Yeah. I was going to bring, I forgot to grab out of our cupboard, but I was going to bring a Nature Valley bar with me. Do you guys eat Nature Valley granola bars? Uh, you know, it's good for a snack when you're feeling hungry, tides you over to a meal. But notice this doesn't say that they're, you know, Jesus is feeding them Nature Valley and they're, you know, it's enough food to get you home, a little bit of energy. It says they all ate and were satisfied. This is a good meal. It's a filling meal. They're satisfied. So what do we make of all this? Why is this miracle in all four passages, or all four Gospels? I see at least three things going on here that we need to pick up on. First, there's important echoes of the Exodus. Moses leads the people out of Egypt, and we've noticed a number of Exodus parallels already in the Gospel of Mark. He leads them out to Egypt, into the wilderness, and what do the people do? They start saying, we need something to eat. And so manna is miraculously provided for them. And again, they're out in the wilderness. The people need something to eat. Jesus is teaching them, just like, just like Moses on Mount Sinai is giving them the Torah, the teaching. Jesus organizes them into groups like Moses, and they are miraculously provided for. Okay, so there's some important echoes of Exodus. The God of the Exodus is at work again in Jesus. But second, there's that... Note that Mark includes, I'm not sure all the Gospels include it, but I, it might be particular to Mark, that he has compassion on them because he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Saying if Herod's their king, this guy who's getting drunk and executing people on a whim and winking at girls and all this weirdness going on there, if that's the king, truly they're sheep without a shepherd. It's no good. He sees their need for a leader. All those Old Testament passages I read, and there's, there's more, but I just tried to read a handful they're all pointing to Israel's need for a good shepherd, a good king. At last, that's provided. 
But third here, we, we, we get a hold of a stream. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor. A third rail is that you know, subway system, the electricity is in the third rail and you touch it and you die. I guess that's not a good metaphor. But somehow it's, a, it's, a, it's something, a strand that runs through scripture from beginning to end. And we kind of pick up, it, pick up on it here. It tells the whole biblical story from a different perspective. So this morning we talked a little bit about peace with God, that we're rebels against God, that we're at war with God, and Jesus comes to bring peace. Okay, that's one way to tell the story, and that's certainly true. But there's more than one aspect to this complex, rich story. So another way we can look at it is this. Man was put in the garden. They weren't meant to die, but they were meant to keep eating from the tree of life to sustain their life. But through their disobedience, they lost access to the tree of life. They didn't have the food they needed. They were hungry. After a period, God gives man, woman, humanity, animals to eat. Right? After Noah's flood, he gives them the animals to eat. And it makes the important point that death is necessary to sustain life. Okay? The animal has to die to feed the people. Both the tree of life and the animals, I should have made this point slightly earlier, but, but in both cases, God gives food to the people. He says, here's all the fruit to eat out of the garden, all the food to eat. But he also gives a command, except for don't eat from one tree. You can eat the animals, except drain the blood first. Don't eat the blood. This gets filled out in the sacrificial laws that Israel receives. Okay, You have eat the clean animals, but here's some laws around that. As we already mentioned, uh, Israel is fed in the wilderness by manna, by these quail. We could keep tracing the theme through the prophets, talk about food a lot. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness here. In a, in a chapter or two, he's going to feed the 4,000. I'll try and give one of the elders that passage so we can get two perspectives on the feedings. Uh, then at the Last Supper, he says, this is my body breaking the bread. He, this is my blood handing out the cup. And it's pointing ahead to this truth that what we really need is to eat from the tree of life. The tree of life has now become a cross. The fruit of the tree of life is Christ's own body and blood. And then at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and the servants will worship him. So the end vision is coming back, having access to the tree of life once again. And so the, it, it's pointing to our true need is to be sustained, to be spiritually fed. And that Christ gives himself on the cross to feed us, to sustain us. And so this miracle in the wilderness is also pointing ahead to our need to be fed by Christ. I wonder, do you guys have other, other insights into this passage as well? Sorry, I didn't get as many questions as I usually try to get. Austin? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at, at that time, the temptation is to use his divine power only for his own good, just to feed himself. Here he's using the power to provide for others. We have no indication that Jesus has still gotten a chance to eat. Okay, he said they went into the wilderness because they couldn't even sit down to dinner together as disciples. He's out teaching. We still don't know if he's gotten a chance to eat yet or not. Um, yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a larger number. If everybody brings one kid with them, you know, that already gets doubles. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, super, super abundance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. To them, it seems impossible. And yet through Christ, not only is it possible, but there's more left over. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah thanks, Leslie. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, we'll come back to that, I guess, next Sunday, at the end of Luke, that, that Jesus' mission bleeds into the church's mission, that it says um, it's necessary for him to suffer to rise again and for the repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to all the nations. And you're the ones to do that. And so it's like Jesus' mission on its own is almost incomplete without the proclamation. And yet again, certainly he could broadcast it around the world if he wants with trumpets and angels and, you know, whatever. And yet he chooses to work through uh, broken, hurting, limited disciples. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, Jan and Jack and Joel. <laughs> all the J names at once. <laughs> Joel? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The sheep need feeding and, and leadership and yeah. Uh, and around a meal again, because isn't he cooking fish on the seashore when, when that happens? That Yeah, yeah. Uh, you wonder, is it even the same... Even the same spot. Yeah, Jack or Jan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or salt them like sardines or something? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. It just says so much about their hunger for the Lord. And we, we get a full meal all the time, not only physically, but here. Yeah. You know, spiritually. Yeah. And I don't think we're half as hungry as they are. And I, I don't know, it just speaks to me about their hunger. Mm. That they didn't care. You know, they didn't have bowls. They didn't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they bu- the missions or the roles blend together in Christ in a way that um yeah. Even in Deuteronomy though, if you remember the king's meant to copy out the law himself and read it, keep it by his bedside table and keep reading the law. So the king himself should be an expert in in the Torah, should be a sort of rabbi. Not always lived up to that ideal, but yeah, Nate and Austin, I guess. Yeah. Jesus preaching in the wilderness, and that this was not not necessarily a short ways out. Like, if we were to go out for a picnic in the grass, we'd probably get up and drive into the mountains. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have hard statistics on that. Um, I mean, there, there were various quasi-messianic figures that led revolts at different points. Um, Spartacus, I guess, is the other <laughs> notable example. But yeah, I mean, there are movements, but they tend to be then snowball, not just a day out and then go home, if that makes sense. But yeah, that's a good, good question. Yeah. It's like a rapture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. 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 So that's you feed them is reminding them. Don't get excited about power and miracles like you can just go do it on your own. Like you need to stay connected to the source that it's through Christ. Yeah, great. Well, we should turn to our time of prayer uh, and then continue this discussion around lasagna in a few minutes, but, uh, but let's turn to our time of prayer. Are there requests? Uh,